Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Well, today I would like to spend some time exploring and thinking through how we listen to and respond to the Lord kind of when he leads us in a new direction. Now, for many of us, at the beginning of the year, we typically make some sort of resolution. Maybe you're even ready to proclaim it, the year of the new fill-in-the-blank. Maybe that's a new workout or a new job, a new eating plan, a new devotional, maybe even a new word of the year. Yet, ironically, most people only hold to their resolutions for an average of 32 days. With today being 30 days into the new year, I figure most of us maybe have decided to forgo our new resolutions or perhaps just want to start again later, maybe even like a 2023 later. But maybe you're still at it. Those people that are still going strong with their resolutions typically, though, do do so with some help. So I did a little research on how most Americans accomplish their new fill-in-the-blank during the new year, and it seems that many of us turn to self-help books. Now, in 2020, just two years ago, during the first week of January, self-help books were up over 30% compared to the previous year in 2019. Now, in 2019, those self-help books accounted for over 18.6 million in sales. So my math's probably not 100% correct, but if we use those numbers, that means in 2020, over $24 million was spent on books trying to help us accomplish our new fill-in-the-blank. And that is a ton of money. While these books can be very inspiring and helpful, the most foundational self-help book for us as believers is the Bible. And thank goodness that this book doesn't change with the changing times. We don't need to go out and buy the newest, latest version every year because it includes the top five steps to be the best you. Our Bible is the same book and has been read for thousands and thousands of years. So let's set aside our self-help books for this time, and we will focus on the incredible biblical examples so we can learn from and listen to the Lord and how to respond to him in 2022. Today, I want to look then at three specific people, Hannah, Eli and Samuel, all involved in one story, but how they each responded to the Lord's leading in their life. How they then received that new direction from the Lord that he was calling them in. And their story spans many chapters, but I will focus on pieces from 1 Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3. And I won't read them all word for word this morning, but I would recommend that you go back later this week and spend some time and read the story in its entirety. Our story today begins with Hannah. We'll look at the background of Hannah and her struggle and how her calling from the Lord came in a time of anguish and desperation, not in a time of joy like it may seem. Now, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and they lived in a time where most men had more than one wife. And so Hannah was one of Elkanah's two wives. To be honest, I always struggle too when I read in the Bible about a man having more than one wife. I understand the cultural context, but I can't imagine when we, can, when we struggle in marriage to get it right with one person, how they did it with multiple wives. But anyways, Hannah was one of Elkanah's two wives, and the other wife and her were in a little bit of a competition. The Bible even tells us that the other wife, Penina, is her rival, her adversary, because Penina was able to bear children from their husband, but Hannah had remained childless and barren. For a woman of that time period, this would have been heartbreaking and gut-wrenching, 
but just like it is today when a, when a couple struggles to conceive. This was Hannah's dominant role, to bear and care for children of Elkanah, and she had none. So what does she do when she doesn't succeed in her role? It, the Bible tells us that she became bitter in her heart and in her soul. Not just a sadness, but a bitterness that consumed her entire being. Yet I think we can all relate to that feeling when we just feel like we're overwhelmingly unsuccessful in something that we thought we'd be good at. Our feelings start maybe as grief, but if they're unchecked, they grow into a bitterness that consumes us. Fortunately, though, Hannah's story does not stop here. To jump to the end of Hannah's story, she does eventually have a son, Samuel, that brings her great and wonderful joy. And while becoming pregnant might seem like her big leading from the Lord, obviously it's a huge change of life for a woman, I don't think this is where he was wanting to lead her and show her even though the outcome was wonderful. Rather, I feel like Hannah's new direction and her new leading from the Lord comes from her time at the temple. Her calling from the Lord is so much more discreet and intimate because I think he wanted her to learn to pay closer attention to him, the Lord. So we're going to rewind to before Hannah had her son and when she was at odds with the other wife, Penina. So let's read now in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 17. It says, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his, on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered her, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Hannah had reached a point of constant weeping and anguish because of the torment of her rival. After reaching what seems like her breaking point, Hannah decides to refocus, and rightly so, she takes her pain and discontentment to the house of the Lord, to God himself. She weeps broken before the Lord. She weeps and prays so intensely that those around her think that she is drunk, but she gains so much from this time at the temple. She gains clarity and focus. Because before, her struggles were so large and looming in her face that she couldn't see past them. She was so worked up in her circumstances that she lacked seeing the obvious and even what was precious right in front of her. She had a husband that cared for her and also loved her wholeheartedly. He went to the temple yearly as a devout Jew to worship and sacrifice to God. Even more, scripture tells us that Elkanah was never concerned about Hannah's ability to have children as he thought more about their relationship first. Each year at the annual sacrifice, he gifted Hannah too with a double portion, essentially a double blessing on her, twice the gifts because he cared and loved her. Hannah missed it. She missed it until she cried out to God in anguish and her distress. When she finally did reach her breaking point, at that time only, she could refocus on what was right in front of her. 
Hannah was valued by God and her husband, but she missed it. She had blessings upon blessings, but she focused on the wrong things. When Hannah finally cries out to God in distress, she's able to refocus on what is already around her. And I think it's important to know as well that Penina, the rival wife, never went away. After Hannah regains her focus on what she does have in front of her, Penina was probably right there still in her ear, nagging, ridiculing, and mocking, who knows. Remember, Hannah prayed for a son, but it's not like she became instantly pregnant right then. She still had that time when Penina was nagging her, ridiculing. I do want to highlight that sometimes, if not most of the time, when we finally remember to cry out to God with our problems, asking him for help, and he helps by reestablishing our focus on him, our nagging rival problems don't just poof, go away. They might still be right there, but they begin to fade into the background when our focus is on God first. We, as people, so often focus on our problems, our worries, and our stresses that we forget to see the blessings right in front of us. I can so easily feel my irritation creep up when I'm at home and I start to notice the thousands of crumbs on my floor and then the toys that aren't put away, the dishes in the sink, and the trash that has yet to be taken out. And then in a period of a short 90 seconds, I can go from calm mom to crazy mom, yelling at my kids and demanding that everything be picked up right now But when in reality, I have missed that for the last hour, my kids have been subtly asking for my attention and my love. (laughs) I can become stressed and irritated when kids' programs don't go right at church or some small thing happens. But when I do, I miss the small interactions of love and knowledge that are happening between our teachers and our kids at church. These are just small stressors and problems, but much bigger ones exist in our lives today. Like Hannah, though, could we remember to be consistent and cry out to the Lord in our stress so we refocus on the blessings right in front of us? Could we, instead of becoming annoyed with our heartaches and frustrations and the crumbs, but instead cry out to the one who is able to carry those burdens? When we take that leap of faith and when we start turning and focusing on the Lord and not on our problems, wouldn't it be wonderful then to have a chance to see the blessings that the Lord already sees in our lives? Let's choose today to be like Hannah, to cry out to God, to refocus on the blessings right in front of your eyes. Let's remember to take those times of anguish and distress and let those be moments when we, can re, when we decide to refocus so that those nagging rival problems fade into the background. Now, Eli is the second person I'd like to look more closely at today. Eli's struggle and challenge was completely different from Hannah's. We met Eli briefly in Hannah's story as Eli was the high priest that worked at the temple. He was a Levite, so that means he was destined to serve and work in the temple of God. His sons, too, would also be destined to work in the temple. Eli was then a man trained to work in the house of the Lord, and so he was trusted by people like Hannah and her husband as they met Eli every year for their annual sacrifices at the temple. Now, Eli was a faithful man, but I think he struggled with how to live in the world but not be of the world, and the problem started with his own family. Now, Eli, like I mentioned, had two sons that also worked with him in the temple. We learn from chapter 2, starting in verse 12, that his sons were wicked. They were sleeping with the temple women, stealing from and profiting off of the people they were supposed to be serving. Their wickedness, though, seemed to be so well-known that the people coming for sacrifices knew that part of their holy offering would be taken from them, and they were just used to it. 
Even Eli knew that they were stealing and sleeping with women at the temple. Thankfully, though, at some point in their lives, he does rebuke them, but just not well enough. In verse 22, Eli scolds his sons and explains to them, if they sin against God, there's really no one left to intercede for them. He's basically letting them know that they better change their ways or they better be responsible for themselves. Unfortunately, though, his sons do not end their wickedness after their pep talk from their dad. And I wonder if they didn't listen to their dad because they no longer trusted him because the same issues ran in Eli too. Further on in chapter 4, you might read about Eli's death. And it was just after he received some shocking news. And the Bible says then, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died for he was old, he was old and overweight. Now remember that his sons were stealing food from the offerings that came in. And it goes deeper than this. Most likely that the offering that his sons were taking from was the peace offering, which is normally an offering that was between two or more parties and God, and then they would share a meal together in the fellowship of peace. Now, normally in this offering, part of the animal would be given to the priest as their normal allowance. This was allowed. This would be, though, a little bit like our church pastors, Pastor Dan, or other church leaders that you know, taking their normal salaries and using those for their lives, but then also dipping their hands into the weekly offering basket and using that money to pay for their personal meals, their Thanksgiving feasts, their Christmas cocktails, even using that money for their sin-filled side habits like gambling, prostitution, or worse. The wickedness was rampant. Eli's sons got so greedy, and they started taking more and more, and then they'd take it by force if it wasn't given willingly. I wonder, though, if Eli, although he wasn't taking the sacrifices directly from the people, if he was eating the spoils of what his sons were taking. Again, the Bible tells us that Eli knew of his sons' grievances. Perhaps now, though, he was accustomed to enjoying better and better and now more and more food at his very own table. It seems that Eli was becoming callous to the needs of the people. Perhaps he was enjoying that so much and he was ignoring what the people actually needed. Romans 16, 18 says, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Eli was sliding down the slope that so many of us struggle with. He was enjoying the comforts too much. He was trying to live for the Lord, but, the surplus, but he was enjoying the surplus at his own table too much. But I think this struggle is even harder and more persistent for us today. Romans 12.2 tells us, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. The voices that contradicts God's word today are louder and more, more conspicuous than ever. But what so many of us after this year in the new year is testing and approving what God's will is for our life. What is God's will for me? What does God have in store for me? Most likely, you are working to not become callous to those around you, to not, become, not conform to the world. Eli had plenty of chances to listen closely to the Lord and hear his calling, whether to rebuke his own sons more firmly in their sin or even just to avoid the temptation himself and stay committed to serving the Lord and the people he was around. But he didn't. Eli didn't listen to the Lord's leading and was becoming callous. In this new year, in 2022, I pray, though, that we can impress Romans 12, 2 on our hearts, this idea to not conform to the world, 
even though the world is trying hard to influence us at every turn. Personally, for me, this means in this new year, I'm working, yet again, to not use social media. It can be a great tool of encouragement and support for some, but for me, it becomes a constant drain on my heart as I compare myself to others. Maybe this is true for you too, or maybe you struggle with phone use in general, or eating sweets, drinking too much, watching TV when you could be doing something else. Maybe the Lord is leading you to change something so that you can form a little less to the world so that you don't fall into the trap that Eli did. Samuel is the last person I want you to consider as we ponder how to respond to the Lord. Samuel, as you may know, grows up to be one of the most known prophets of the Old Testament. But his direction from the Lord stops, starts off with a little bit of caution on Samuel's part. As we alluded to in, in Hannah's story, Samuel is the son that she conceived after crying out to God at the temple gates. She pleaded with the Lord so much that she even promised the future child to the Lord. This meant that after the child was weaned, he would go, live, grow up, and serve at the temple. Most likely, Samuel would have been between the ages of three and five when Hannah gave him to the temple priest for training and care. Most of you know I have a six, four, and two-year-old, and I could never even imagine sending him to another state, another school, to be attended to and cared for for the rest of their lives and only see them once a year. But this is what Hannah does. So let's dive into Samuel's story. Samuel trained under Eli for about six to nine years when we read about him now in the scripture, but multiple times the scripture tells us that he did not yet know the Lord or that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This could happen because he had not yet come of age when Jewish boys became men around 12 or 13, like at a bar mitzvah, and so then they were allowed to attend services, but I think it has more to do with the fact that Samuel was not ready to believe in God on his own. Since he had moved into the temple, Samuel would have known everything about it under Eli. He would have known the ins and outs of the temple, the rituals, the scriptures, and more. We learn, too, from 1 Samuel that Eli is actually slowly losing his sight. So Samuel, at a very young age, has already taken on some of the duties as a priest. It even tells us that Samuel already wears a linen apode, which is something a priest would have worn. Samuel even sleeps in a lamp room, which symbolizes the presence of the Lord and was not to be extinguished. Eli could not do this job anymore, so the task then fell to young Samuel. But one evening, Samuel and Eli go on this roundabout conversation in which Samuel thinks he hears Eli calling him from the other room, but he actually isn't. So we're going to go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, and we'll jump right in after the Lord has called out to Samuel for the first time. Samuel answers, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called. Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. <laughs> My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as in the other times, Samuel, Samuel. 
Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. To me, this story always reminds me of thinking you hear a child cry in the middle of the night and you wake up in a panic only to realize it wasn't a child. Lately, I've even heard some coyotes by our house and they can sound remarkably like children. (laughs) But anyways, after three times of this back and forth conversation, Eli finally tells Samuel to go back to the lamp room and listen once more and this time respond by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is what I find interesting about Samuel's story. When Samuel does go back to his room and he hears God calling him, he responds with this, speak, for your servant is listening. He left a word out. Did you catch it? He leaves out, Lord. You think with living in the temple of God, he would know the Lord, but he doesn't say his name, even though everything else was verbatim. And I honestly think it's because Samuel doesn't have a personal relationship with God yet. He knew about him. He knew all the facts and the figures and the laws and the rituals, but he didn't know and recognize him. He was still nervous and cautious about jumping into that close relationship with Yahweh. Maybe you've been at a store recently and maybe you've seen someone with a face mask, sunglasses, and a hat on, and you try really hard to do a double take, but honestly, you just cannot figure out who they are. It is really hard to know who that person is. It's much easier to recognize a person with all that on if you truly know them. I can much, e- much more easily recognize my husband in a crowd of people than I can an acquaintance I only see a few times a year. I can almost instantly recognize my children's voice in a large room, even with other voices in the mix. Why? Because I know them very well. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, so he wasn't able to recognize his voice. The more we experience God in our lives, the more we are able to recognize him and his work in our surroundings. The more experiences that I have with God that are intimate and eye-opening and amazing, the more I'm able to rely on those experiences again if I have a dry or trying season in my faith. I can rely on those past big God experiences when I don't hear from God like I would want or hope because I know he is still faithful, present, and always working for my good. But I can't rely on those experiences with God if I'm cautious in my relationship with him and I don't know him. I must be prepared instead, not to be cautious, but to be confident in saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, for I am listening. We must be careful not to admit Lord from that sentence, because before we know it, it will be replaced with something else. And what we put in that blank is crucial. Is it speak world, for I am listening? Is it speak celebrities? Speak newscasters? Speak politicians? speak friends? Eli seemed to have already made his choice and replaced Lord with the world. But Samuel was just at the beginning of his life and was choosing carefully how to respond. Just like we have the opportunity to choose how we respond. But we must only respond with speak, Lord, for we are listening. Samuel was cautious in this instance, but we can learn from him and we can boldly approach God's throne with confidence saying, speak, Lord. Where is God whispering or even shouting loudly in your life? Where do you feel his invitation and his leading? Has someone invited you to a neighborhood get together or a Bible study or a small group? Have you been asked or invited by someone to share your faith? And are you prepared to do so? Or if the noise around you is too loud, go to your inner room. 
to where you feel God's presence to your lamp room and pause and say, speak, Lord, for I am listening. Keep working to know the Lord's voice so well so that you can know him in every season of your life. We have all probably been in each of the shoes of these three individuals. However, it is important to focus on the Lord and ask him to reveal where you are today so that you can move forward, so you can be ready to receive his calling. Perhaps you are in Hannah's position where you need to cry out all of your anxiety and bitterness from your heart to the Lord and leave it with him so that you can focus on the blessings and even the double blessings right in front of you. Or are you Eli, needing to acknowledge the struggles in your life and face them with the Lord by your side so that you don't get swept up to live as the world lives? Or are you Samuel, learning to be confident, not cautious, so that you can hear the voice of the Lord when he speaks. Let's work today to be consistent in our commitment to the Lord, like Hannah, and to grow in our confidence, like Samuel. Wherever you are in your life, though, know that when the Lord calls you, it is an opportunity to respond to him, and you have the best resource on the planet. The Lord is speaking to you today, and he is better than every self-help book on the planet that you could buy. So take this chance today to listen to the Lord and see where he is leading you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your examples in the Bible. Thank you that you give us a great resource to know you well. Lord, I pray that we can know you in our dry and trying seasons. Lord, in our seasons where we just can experience you at every turn. Lord, speak to us today so that we can hear from you. Amen.